Hey there, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Redeemed Through His Blood. Scott Durfee here, and David Durfee here. Hi, Dave. Hey, Scott. Excited to be here today. Excited about our topic. Yeah, me too. Uh, We've uh, been through several weeks as we've talked about the events of the Atonement of Jesus Christ, and if if you've uh, if you're just joining us, I invite you to go back and listen to those. Now today and going forward for the next uh, probably several weeks, we'll be talking about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, where they come into our lives, where the blessings are available to us, how we access those, uh, and many 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 other things. So we're looking forward to that too. Well, my experience with this, Scott, and I just remind everybody this is based on a course that um, I helped to design, and we taught for many years at uh, Utah Valley University Institute, and then Elder Anderson wrote wrote a book, which I assisted him on, covering this uh, topic about how to access the atonement of Jesus Christ. And for the last several weeks now, we've talked about kind of the historicity or the historical events right, of the atonement of Jesus Christ. And my experience, Scott, as I um, witnessed students coming to my class was that that was very, very, very humbling. If they really came to understand the events of the atonement, it really, really humbled them. And based upon our reading of Alma 32, uh, when Alma says the, the word had a more powerful effect upon the mind of the people than the sword or anything else, I really witnessed that. When people understand the atonement, the events, the, the actual uh, carrying out and what Jesus sacrificed, um, it, it humbled them. And in Alma 32, Alma, Alma tells the people, uh, hey, it's it's good that you've been compelled to be humble, kind of hit their rock bottom when they were cast out of their homes and their their synagogues, and, you know, here are all these poor people who show up on the hill called Oneida, and Alma tells them, hey, it's good that you're compelled to be humble. But it would have been better, and it's always more powerful if you would have been humbled by the power of the Word. And the, and when we talk about the events of the atonement, Scott, I think that's the word he was talking about. I think the word he's talking about, and he he actually clarifies this in Alma 33. This is the word, this is the word that you should plant in your hearts, which would, again, have a more powerful effect upon the minds of the people than the sword or anything else, and would humble them more than anything else. That's not, you want to, you're, you're there, you're looking at it. Uh, it's uh, Alma 33, uh, like verse 22 or 23, second to the last verse in the chapter. I'm going to start with verse 21. Oh, my brethren, if you could be healed by merely casting about your eyes, that ye might be healed, would ye not be healed quickly, or would ye rather harden your hearts in unbelief, and be slothful that ye would not cast about your eyes, that ye, may, that ye might perish? So look, just look to that uh, brazen, brazen serpent. Brazen serpent. You know, look, look up, uh, look to look to the Savior, and you'll be healed, which has become the universal symbol for medical healing right. sciences is that uh, brazen serpent on a pole. But it's the next verse. If so, woe shall come unto you. But if not so, then cast about your eyes and begin to believe in the Son of God, that he will come to redeem his people, and that he shall suffer and die to atone for their sins, and that he shall rise again from the dead, which shall bring to pass the resurrection, that all men shall stand before him to be judged at the last and judgment day according to their works. And then he says, this is the word. And now, my brethren, I desire that you should plant this word, this this word, yeah. in your hearts. What what word? That Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that Jesus Christ suffered, that He atoned, that He died, was resurrected for us. If if you'll just plant the atonement, the events of the atonement in your word, there is nothing that will be more humbling than that. So I, I witnessed that as I as I taught this course, Scott, that if people would just really study 
understand and receive a witness of the Holy Ghost, of course, that Jesus really did these things, it would humble them. It would give them a broken heart and a contrite spirit, not only knowing what he did, but who he did it for and how our sins caused it. If, if people just understand that basic, uh, those basic ideas and doctrine, wow, it, it is so humbling. And once the people are humble by the power of the word, then they are ready to learn the doctrine of the effects, the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ in our life. And my experience, so we've spent, uh, what, maybe four weeks on the events of the atonement, and we're going to spend two or three weeks on the effects of the atonement. And what happens is, once my students uh, really learned, once once they really felt it in their hearts, what Jesus had done for them, they were were humble and their hearts were broken, their spirits contrite. And then you begin to speak about the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ and what it covers and how we're all affected by it, affected and affected by it. Then you become filled with gratitude. And it is the gratitude that becomes the most powerful motivation to keep the commandments and to repent and to keep us on the uh, straight and narrow path and to hold to the iron rod and to partake over and over and over again to go fall down at the tree and partake of the fruit over and over again so uh, anyway in teaching the course it was it was so and it, and it affected me as well scott I, I the teacher always gets more than the student but what but what we hope our listeners will feel is understand the events which will humble you break our hearts, soften our hearts, make us ready to understand the doctrine of the effects of the atonement. And when we understand the effects, we will be filled with such gratitude, such hope, that it will encourage us, give us the, the, the power that we need to continue uh, on the path. And this is, this is true, Scott, not only for... Um, Active members of the church, this is true for those who have left the church. I, I had many students who were ha- in a, in a uh, crisis of faith, who, some of them who came in very skeptical, and yet they had a friend who said, well, we're not talking about the church, we're just talking about the gospel. And they would come to a class, and uh, honestly, it's, it's not about the church. This course is not about the church. Now, it just so happens that these doctrines are largely the result of the restoration of the fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ, which came about because of, of restoration scripture and because of prophets, and, and I bear testimony of that. But this is not about the church. This is about understanding the doctrine. And I, I think it, uh, the statement of President Packer when he says, True doctrine understood changes attitudes and behaviors. More wow. than the study of attitudes and behaviors. This, this is the, the prime example of that. I'm, I'm telling you, if you, uh, one understands the events and then follows up a study and understands the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ, they will not only be humbled, but they'll be filled with gratitude. And uh, I, we read this early on, but I, one of my favorite quotes, which I know is true from Elder Richard G. Scott, is pondering the grandeur of the atonement evokes the most profound feelings of awe, immense gratitude, and deep humility. And uh, is that ever the truth? I would probably go the other order. I think it fills us with deep humility, immense gratitude, and awe. Then he says, those impressions can provide you powerful motivation to keep his commandments and consistently, we would even say now daily, repent of errors for greater peace and happiness. So I hope that as we start into this kind of new uh, section of the course, uh, that our, our listeners will be filled with, with gratitude as they understand all 
that the atonement of Jesus Christ covers. And um, we, we are just so blessed to have these truths that have been restored. Um, so let's jump into it. Scott, the, the, uh, the effects of the atonement. So, again, if one really wants to understand and appreciate the atonement, they have to understand and appreciate the fall and the two major negatives of the fall, which are spiritual death, cut off from the presence of God, and physical death, that we're all going to die and our spirits will leave our body. So, so spiritual death is something that we're all going to experience. We are not in the presence of God. E- even when we have the Holy Ghost with us, we have a member of the Godhead with us, which helps us to be what we would call being born again, spiritually speaking. But we're still in a sinful, fallen world, and every day sin in some form or another, Scott, whether personal or otherwise, sin in this world affects us. We're all tainted or affected by sin every day, and we live in a, in a fallen, spiritually lost world. And as Abinadi and Amulek and, and Alma and Lehi and all the prophets of the Book of Mormon and Paul himself in Corinthians, you know, that we all die, spiritually speaking, because of the the fall of of Adam and Eve, we're all lost. We're all carnal. We're all, we're all sensual, devilish, and uh, and we feel it. We're all we're all natural man, and uh, and every day I feel it, whether whether it's uh, some physical challenge or some spiritual temptation or or mistake or weakness. Anyway, spiritual death is real, and let's maybe start with how the atonement of Jesus Christ unconditionally. So when we speak about the atonement, Scott, there's, there's the two negative effects of right. the fall, spiritual, physical, right. death. And there's two major positives of the atonement. Try, people can kind of see, see a graph of this. We, we have one here on, on our, our screen that we're looking at. And if people could try to visualize this, that... Uh, there are two major positives of the atonement, which is unconditionally the atonement unconditionally overcomes the fall of Adam and Eve. We're going to talk about all those today. We're going to start talking about those today. And it conditionally overcomes our personal fall of you and me through our faith and obedience. So the two major positives of the atonement of Jesus Christ are the unconditional effects and the conditional effects. Orson Pratt talked about that in a whole kind of discourse, and I won't take time to read read uh, read that quote, but it's one of my favorite quotes. And Brother Matthews picked up on that. And Brother Matthews, who wrote the Bible Dictionary, and you know, so helpful to my understanding of of this these points of doctrine, you know. Uh, we don't spend enough time, really, in the church talking about the unconditional effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Uh, Unconditional, Scott, and most of the effects of the atonement are unconditional. Heavenly Father has unconditionally saved most of his children. That's quite a statement to make, but I'm going to make it. I believe most of Heavenly Father's children will be in the celestial kingdom. And I'm sure there's many listeners right now with their mouths wide open that I said that. But the reason I say that is because just 200 years ago, and people can look this up, the infant mortality rate was 50%. Well, nobody understands the salvation, really, exaltation of children like we do. And where did we learn it? We learned it in the Book of Mormon. And then it was taught, of course, in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, and other, other, many other places, the salvation of children. But Heavenly Father Scott um, has saved most of his children because of the salvation of children. Um, I, I think that is just so hopeful, so one of the real 
maybe my favorite point of doctrine that has come about through the restoration. And so this is uh, this is point number one, th- that the atonement of Jesus Christ unconditionally covers all children because they are innocent and alive in Christ, as Mormon taught his son Moroni in the church in the Book of Mormon. Why don't we turn there, Scott? And while you're turning there, I'm just going to tell this this quick story uh, that I've told many times. But for many years, I taught at the missionary training center after my mission. Uh, it wasn't even the missionary training center. It was, it was the mission home up in Salt Lake City before there was an MTC. And I had a companion up there by the name of Elder Hansen. And Elder Hansen would share this story. Every Tuesday morning, I'd go up to Salt Lake and teach missionaries. It was... Uh, I I treasured that uh, opportunity. I was actually called by President Monson to do that. Uh, and it's when he was an apostle, of course, but but he was over the missionaries and and sent me a letter. I was recommended, and he sent me a letter and, and made it official. And I'd go up there every Tuesday, and Elder Hansen, for a long time, was one of my companions, and we would teach the missionaries. And Elder Hansen would share this story. He was on a mission in in Canada, and it was near the end of the day. He was a fairly new missionary, and they there was a, it was getting dark, and they were starting to go back to their apartment. There was this little white cottage down the lane, and they felt impressed that they should go go knock on this this cottage. Then they knocked on the door, and Elder Hansen would always always say, "This never happened to me before, and it never happened to me again." But I heard a voice. And the voice told me, read Moroni 8, 10 through 12. And he said, I didn't even know what Moroni 8, 10 through 12 said, but I unzipped my scripture covers, which we used to have in those days, and I was trying to find Moroni 8, 10 through 12 when a young woman answered the door. And I, I just said to her, ma'am, I have a scripture to read to you as he found it, just as, as he began to speak. And he started to read Moroni eight ten through 12, which says, Behold, I say unto you that this thing shall ye teach, repentance and baptism unto those who are accountable and capable of committing sin. Yea, teach parents they must repent and be baptized and humble themselves as their little children, and they shall all be saved with their little children. And their little children need no repentance, neither baptism. Behold, baptism is unto repentance to the fulfilling of the commandments unto the remission of sins. But little children are alive in Christ, even from the foundation of the world. If not so, God is a partial God and also a changeable God and a respecter of persons. For how many little children have died without baptism? <laughs> well, there's, there's just so much in that passage. He said, "I read the I read the scripture and I uh, looked up and tears were were uh, streaming down her cheeks." And she said, "Who told you? Who are you and who told you?" And he said, uh, "Ma'am, we're missionaries for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Nobody told us anything. The Lord has sent us here." And she told them that the experience that she had just gone through that two weeks ago she'd given birth to her first child, a little boy as I remember, and that that child had died a few hours after birth, which was devastating to her. And she was a good Catholic, and she went to her priest, and and her priest told her, and I'm sure he did it in the kindest, most loving way he possibly could, but her priest told her that because her child had died without baptism that her child was in purgatory and she said I knew that couldn't be true and I've been praying for two weeks for God to send somebody to me to tell me where my little where my little child is where my baby is sweet now the Catholic Church to be fair has softened their position on that that was in that was back in the early 1970s and they've changed about 25 years ago. They have they've kind of softened that that doctrine in their church, but 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 they still don't know anything about the salvation of children, and no other church, Christian church or religion, does know anything about the salvation of little children. 
we know that because Christ and his atonement, that little children are alive in Christ. I am so grateful, Scott, for that, uh, for that doctrine. And you just think about the love of God for his children and how many children have died before baptism, as Mormon asks in that scripture. So um, I have some other thoughts about that, but I'm doing any, what are your thoughts? Well, I I do have thoughts, but I want to, most of my thoughts are going to be when we get into, uh, after we've also talked about the physical death, you know, and, and what comes as a part of that. But when we when we talk about spiritual and physical death, David, and and I'll get and I'll talk more about this, uh, when, you know, when we get to that point. But there are literally I don't I and I've challenged you know so Deb and I, uh, my wife and I teach uh, institute as a calling for a stake at BYU uh, currently and have done for the last four years now. And um, when when we talk about this, you know, we've taken the spiritual and physical death, and when we examine our lives and the challenges that come to us in our lives, uh, any challenge I think that I could categorically put into physical or spiritual death problem, right? Uh, True. Any problem that I have, literally, anything that's going on in my life that is not that is that is upsetting the apple the the apple cart of peace or the apple cart of of contentment or whatever. I'm sure Uh, that's right. Any problem I have, I think I can categorically put it into one of those. And so, and I want to talk more about that when we get to the physical death day, because uh, there's a lot, especially because of my background, because of my experience, especially in recovery rooms, et cetera, that, uh, you know, I I want to address, but I'm going to hold on those. The the thing I want to, I want to really, um, emphasize is something that you've talked about is the uh, as part of the unconditional blessings or, that come to us as uh, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ Let, let's go ahead and continue and then I'll pop in more well this on that. this this one about children is is personal with me because even though there is no official doctrine Scott in the church there's been no revelation or official policy on what we know or understand or believe about stillborn children. But my wife has delivered three stillborns. And so this doctrine gets really personal with me. And we have named those children. We believe all those children needed was a body. Uh, They were were delivered in the the final trimester, these little one, two-pound babies that she had to go through labor to deliver and uh, buried on top of her actually dad's grave in in uh, little teeny caskets i i i personally know scott that i have three little boys that i will see in the resurrection and that all they needed was a body and and they're they're saved um so this becomes this becomes personal for me, and I always get emotional. Well, not always, but almost always, I get emotional in the in the temple when I'm performing sealings, and people will bring their names, right? Couples to be sealed to each other as husband and wife, and then they'll bring names of children to be sealed to parents. And every time I get a card, and it, and on the card it it lists. Uh, where they were, which temple they were baptized in, which temple they were confirmed in, and there's a date and a, and a temple. And we're doing the last ordinance for a child that we can perform for them, uh, which is to seal them to their parents. But children who die before the age of eight, on the card, it says baptism, not needed. Confirmation, not needed initiatory not needed endowment not needed and i just go oh man this is one of the greatest doctrines of the restoration is uh that we know that little children are unconditionally saved in heaven now in order to go the highest degree of the celestial kingdom they will have the opportunity and will have to choose to be married. They'll have every opportunity to do that, and I can't imagine any of them who won't. 
But I just think it is such a glorious principle for us to rejoice and to be grateful for that most of Heavenly Father's children, yeah. just based on this doctrine alone, half of them are in heaven. And uh, there will be many more who never had the opportunity in this life who will choose. And that's that becomes another, right? That becomes another unconditional effect of the atonement of Jesus Christ is that those who didn't, who didn't have the law, that they're, they're, they're covered as well. So we're going into another point here. We'll leave, we'll leave children for a minute, and let's talk about all those who died without the law. So let's, let's, let's just go, Scott, to uh, Mosiah chapter 3. Again, this is taught in the Book of Mormon. I don't think anybody else understands this. There's so many Christians who believe that if you die before you confess Jesus or before you're baptized, you're going to go to hell. Well, we, we completely reject that. That, that is not the, the kind, loving God that we, that we believe in, that the atonement of Jesus Christ covers all of God's children according to their choices and accountability for sure, but also according to their conditions and their circumstances and what they knew and what they didn't know. There's just so many other uh, the context and circumstances. Anyway, let's let's read uh, Mosiah chapter 3, starting with verse 7, Scott. And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pain of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer except it be unto death. For behold, blood cometh from every pore, so great shall be his anguish for the wickedness and abominations of his people. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Father of heaven and earth, the creator of all things from the beginning. And his mother shall be called Mary. And lo, he cometh unto his own, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. And even after all this, they shall conquer they shall consider him a man, and shall say he hath a devil, and shall scourge him, and shall crucify him. And so, he, so, verse nine again. And lo, he cometh unto his own, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. And even after all this, they shall consider him a man, and shall say he hath a devil. Okay, and ten and eleven. Eleven's key verse. And he shall rise on the third day. From the dead, and behold, he standeth to judge the world. And behold, all these things are done that a righteous that, that a righteous judgment might come upon the children of men. That a righteous judgment might come upon the children of men, all of God's children. That's why that these I, things were done. That's that's here is why he did it. Here is why Christ carried out the atonement. Here's why the Father sacrificed his only begotten son that a righteous judgment i used to always ask my students so what's what's a righteous judgment give me another word for righteous a blank judgment they would say loving i'd say good that's good a loving judgment but the one that i would stand out the most they would always say you know these are young adults and they're all about this they would say a fair judgment it would be fair, I would say. It would be equitable, right? It's this is this is the judgment that the atonement allows God to make—a fair, kind, loving judgment. And verse eleven: For behold, and also his blood atoneth for the sins of those who have fallen by the transgression of Adam who have died not knowing the will of God concerning them, or who have ignorantly How sinned. How many people, or who have ignorantly sinned, right. sorry. Yeah. Who have ignorantly yeah. sinned. How many people have died not knowing the will of God? How many people have died not knowing God? How many people have died not even knowing or hearing about Jesus Christ? How many people have died ignorantly, literally ignorantly sinning? Now, I know all man has the light of Christ, and all man has a conscience. If you don't have the law, if you don't have the gospel, if you don't have the commandments, <laughs> right? You can't be held accountable for those things. That's why Jesus did what he did, so that a righteous judgment might come upon 
all the children of men. So really, Scott, um, they demographers, you know, they they estimate probably anywhere between um, ninety billion to a hundred and twenty billion people have lived on the planet Earth. So let's say a hundred billion people have lived on the planet Earth. Elder Nelson, President Nelson, Elder Nelson at the time talked about this many years ago. How many? billions of people lived on the earth anyway out of those hundred billion how many people had the gospel how many people even had the opportunity to have the gospel how many people lived and died hearing nothing about the gospel well what god no respecter of persons not partial, he's unchanging, loving, right? How many of those people will, after this life, in maybe a more ideal setting and more ideal conditions, are going to receive the fullness of the gospel? And this is why we do temple work, so that they can have all of the laws and the ordinances given to them, so they can accept all those things. Uh, it's it's astounding, Scott. How much, how how many temples we have today, and how much work is being performed in them. Um, I I know that in the temple where I serve, that there have been now since its opening only less than six months ago. Well, it's probably been about six months now. Opened in August, so has that been in about six months? Yeah, yeah. There have been several hundred thousand ordinances already wow now when i say ordinances there's lots of ordinances to perform but if you take all of the hundreds of thousands of people that have had ordinances performed and you break all this down there have been thousands and thousands of individuals in our temple in six months well i wonder how many temples do we have how many thousands of ordinances are performed every month in the temple we have a lot of work to do but the work goes on and it's just going to increase and it's going to accelerate all those people who died not having the gospel because of the atonement of jesus christ will be unconditionally covered and receive the opportunities that they didn't have in this life to receive the gospel there you know, the Doctrine and Covenants, section 76, was where Joseph Smith really began to learn this. And uh, he it's taught in the Book of Mormon. It's clearly taught in the Book of Mormon. In fact, you, we just read King Benjamin's address. But Jacob, Jacob in chapter uh, 9 of Second Nephi, in this amazing discourse on the atonement, I'll just read one verse, verse 26. Uh, Jacob says, For the atonement satisfieth the demands of his justice upon all those who have not the law given to them. Well, think about that. He repeats that in other places, and it's taught in several other places in the Scriptures. But when Joseph Smith received the Doctrine and Covenants, remember when we were in Hiram, Ohio, at the John Johnson farm, where Joseph Smith received the Revelation, and he he had this, it's called the vision, but really there's like six visions, and he sees the father and the son, he and Sidney Regnan. They see the father and the son. They see the, the, a little bit of the war in heaven, and they see Satan. And then they see, they see the celestial kingdom. And then they see the terrestrial kingdom. And then they see the celestial kingdom. They see, they, see, they see outer darkness. They see all of this. And this is where he really begins to learn that there is not just a heaven or a hill that people will be judged with a righteous judgment. They'll go where they're happiest, where they desire, maybe where they're most comfortable according to their desires. And uh, that was really hard for many members of the church to accept. I mean, Brigham Young writes how hard that was for him to accept. That was like a revolutionary idea for him, that salvation wasn't just a heaven and a hell, to think about the possibility of people being in a kingdom of glory, even in the celestial kingdom. Anyway, there, I, there's just no other 
church and and it's because we have the fullness of the gospel and it's been restored through the book of mormon and the the scriptures and revelations who are more who believe in more grace who believe in more mercy who believe more in the not just in the salvation and exaltation but in the numbers of children of heavenly father that will receive salvation and exaltation I, I i mean really it it's a testimony of of our heavenly father's love for us all those who died so uh without the law and all those who ignorantly sin who never had the commandments never had the opportunities will will be saved there's a lot of great things that come out of the atonement of Jesus Christ, but just understanding that really increases should uh, it increases my gratitude and that for that uh, for that for all those things that you just talked about, we should all be grateful when we have that gratitude. As we've talked about so many other times too, when we have that gratitude, then our desire to follow and to uh, align our will with Heavenly Father's actually increases right along with it, Dave. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've told the story in previous. Po- seasons of our podcast about my my first experience where this became really important to me was uh when we were um when my family was invited to adopt a prisoner and to go to the prison and to participate in the family home evening program and um we went there our first uh, monday went into a non-denominational chapel this is at the old prison at the point of the mountain and and there we we were introduced to to David, uh, our prisoner who happened to be black and happened to be Muslim, but uh, he he felt like this would maybe help him. This would look good on his record, and he lots of LDS. He's a good guy, and they wanted to invite him. So we go into a little room. We go into a little room, and we after we have an opening exercise and. We introduce ourselves to, to David, and David introduces himself to us, takes his sh- shirt off and shows us his muscles, and he's built like an upside-down pyramid. He was about 5'8", and probably 220, and I remember him telling us, you know, that he bench-pressed over 400 pounds, and, you know, anyway, he was kind of preparing, he told us, for the Mr. Utah contest. Anyway, we loved him. He was so charismatic, and I remember coming home from that first evening and looking in the my rearview mirror at my children as we drove to our home in Highland, Utah, and Taylor was crying, and I said, Taylor, what's wrong? And Taylor said, I really hate leaving David there. <laughs> <laughs> felt bad for him huh? and all of yeah. our i looked at all the other kids and they were all shaking their heads yes i mean it was amazing yeah. really from the first day how much we we cared for him and loved him and uh we always looked forward to going back and spending time with him you know i remember that first day he was going to tell us why he was in prison and i i said my kids were really young you know at the time and i said no 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 david it's okay they, we don't need to know why you're here we just want to focus on your your future and enjoy the present. We don't need to talk about the past because I didn't want them to think of him as a criminal. Well, I had a I had a volunteer card so I could go up and visit him anytime and I would usually uh once a month I'd go up and go to church with him. I was trying to convert him. So I'd go up and go to church with him once a month. And one Sunday I went up to go to church at the prison and uh the bishop met me at the door. His greatest man, I'm so sweet. He met me at the door and he said, Brother Durfee, hey, David came in to see me this week and he's been really depressed. And he's really afraid that when you find out why he's here, he he really loves your family and he he's afraid that when you find out why he's here in prison that you won't bring your family anymore. So he said, I think it would be really good for you to just kind of listen to David's story and let David tell you why he's here. And I said, yeah, yeah, no, that's fine. I... I don't mind knowing why he's here. I just don't want my kids to know. Well, so uh, after after sacrament meeting, when everybody else went to Sunday school, Bishop let us use his office. Then we went in, and David told me his story. And Scott, I was I was like thirty four years old, but I I had never really imagined. I was pretty naive. 
I was pretty protected, as you know. And David told me about how he was born to a prostitute in Kansas City and never knew his father. And uh, I just remember him telling me about how hard his childhood was. And I'll never forget him saying, when I was six, my mother forced me into child prostitution. And uh, he became a child prostitute at the age of six. Then at the age of eight, uh, he became a heroin addict because he began to object to, you know, doing what his mother was getting paid for him to do. I remember him saying, actually, my mother made a lot of money off of me. And um, he had this big dent in his forehead. And it was obvious, but, you know, I didn't really think much about it. Anyway, when he's telling me his story, he said, do you see this, do you see this, uh, my forehead? I said, yeah. And he said, well, when I was 10, one morning, you know, I was laying in bed, and I'd forgotten to take out the garbage. And my mother hit me in the head with a tire iron and uh, crushed my forehead, never took me to a doctor. And uh, I thought I was going to die for several weeks. And uh, he said that when I, when I finally healed, I decided that... Um, I couldn't live there. She was going to kill me. So he said I ran away. At the age of 12, he ran away. Then he lived on the streets. At the age of 14, he had a gun. And he said, this is a quote. I don't know why I can never forget this. But he said, uh, I hated my mother. But in some strange way, I loved her. And I thought I could help her. So I went home. I'll never forget that. And uh, then he told me that something happened. His mother did something that brought back all his bad memories from his childhood, and and he became enraged and shot his mother and killed her. Then he was put into the juvenile delinquent detention programs of the state of Missouri. The state of Missouri took him over, and and he, he was in detention, foster home after foster home after foster home, and... Anyway, 18, he he said that he joined the Peace Corps, and he ends up in Ogden, Utah, and uh, gets in a fight with a man and kills a man at the age of 18, and he's given he's given 10 years to life. And uh, he was 32, I was 34, he was 32, and he'd been in prison since he was 18, so he'd been in prison for 14 years. Scott, as I sat there and listened to this story, it was it was appalling and it was shocking to me. And I remember thinking, "Wow, you know, I just I just didn't know how how awful, how terrible, how this little this little boy had no no opportunity, no shot." And and yet I had this profound feeling of love for him. Anyway, that I I just was overcome with compassion uh for him and and we continued to go and then we adopted uh finish this story we adopted because of david really because because he was african-american and his influence in us and our love for him we decided we'd adopt a little black boy we'd had the three stillborns and we wanted to have another baby and so we we went to philadelphia and, and adopted this little two-month-old baby and david knew all about this and in fact, if he wouldn't have approved it, we wouldn't have done it. But he encouraged it. So we, we adopted this little black boy. And I'll never forget the the next Monday, first Monday of the month, when we'd go to the prison. And we had we had Isaac, who we had just adopted. And everybody was fighting over who was going to carry him into the prison and show him off to David. And I finally said, stop it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that. Because so, they were all fighting over it. And so I carried him in. David was there, already there in the non-denominational chapel, and uh, he—I don't know how he'd carry, how he'd uh, pulled this off, but he had uh, starched and creased his denim Levi's, and his his denim shirt, his collar was stiff, and he'd had his top button buttoned, and he had his hair slicked back, all greased and slicked back. I mean, it looked like he was going to his wedding or something. And his black Nikes were polished, and 
man, he look, I said, wow, David, you look like a million bucks. And he said, well, I'm, I'm meeting my godchild, you know. I, <laughs> anyway, yeah. he, he always kind of saw Isaac that way. And uh, anyway, I said, do you want to hold him? And he said, yeah. So he puts out his massively muscular arms. And I put Isaac in his hands, and uh, he kind of rolls him into his into a, towards his body. He just kind of rolls him in there. I could tell Isaac was <laughs> a little insecure, and I said, "No, David, David, let me sh- let me show you how to hold him. You got to hold him like this." So I took the baby back, kind of showed David how to hold a baby, and then gave him back to David. And then something happened, and uh, David's eyes. Uh, looked into Isaac's eyes, and Isaac was looking into at David, and and it was so interesting because you could just see David's countenance fall, and David became immediately depressed. We we had our little opening exercise. We went into a room, and David wouldn't talk to us the rest of the night. Didn't want to hold the baby, and didn't want to talk to us the rest of the night. And I kept saying, David, what's wrong? What's wrong? We, not, he'd just shake his head and put up his hands and shake his head no. He he wouldn't he wouldn't say anything. Well, it was awful. It turned out to be just awful, and my kids were just confused and upset. And I just thought, oh man, I was I was mad. I was actually I left mad, and I stayed mad. And the next day, I right after I got through teaching all my classes in seminary, I went back to the prison. Then I went into his house with my volunteer card. I went into his house. He was in at the time, minimum security, after being there 14 years. and But I went into his house, and I said, I just sat down and uh, by him and a little table between us, and I said, David, listen, I, I don't know what happened last night, but if every time we come up here you're going to act like that, then maybe we shouldn't come anymore. I, I was mad uh, because of the effect that it had on my little kids. And I remember him slamming, taking his hand and hard as he could slamming his hand on a table and saying it's a little late for that don't you think I said what are you talking about what happened last night and he said I just have one question for you why didn't God give me a mother and a family like that speaking of our family why couldn't I have been that baby why couldn't I have been adopted? Why couldn't I have been, have a mother and a family like that? Wow. That, that, well, first of all, that just took all the anger out of me. I, I, I knew why he was depressed. I knew why, and it was touching and humbling. And I knew then, Scott, this is the first time I really came to learn this, too. By the way, I had never really had the opportunity to even think about this. But I knew how to answer that question. I knew the answer to that question. And I said to him, by the Holy Ghost, it was the Holy Ghost that taught me the answer to that question. And then I went back and I found all the scriptures and the the true points of doctrine that teach it. But I knew what to say. And I, I said, David... I don't know why. I don't know why God didn't give you a mom or a family like that. But I can tell you this. I can promise you this. That if you desire it, someday you will have a mother. And you will have a family like that. And I knew it was true. And I told him that it was only through the atonement of Jesus Christ that that was possible. And he felt it was true and our conversation after that was about the the power and blessings of the atonement of jesus christ in our life i'll never forget that scott and the effect that that had on me and the effect that that had on david a long story short uh, we continue to visit david Um, there's more to that story and you can probably hear more about that in previous seasons but um, we moved to Minnesota and we kind of lost contact. And anyway, David, David's been in, been in prison. Last I read that he'd been institutionalized, but somebody told me recently, my son, I think told me that he had read that maybe that he had gotten out, but 
I will always uh, I'm all I will always be grateful for the, the lesson that I learned inside a prison when I was 34 years old about the power of the atonement and who it covered that those individuals who never have the opportunity will receive that opportunity if it is their desire and if they will be faithful and obedient. I know that's true, Scott. And I, there's, there again, there's no other gospel or church in the world that believes that except the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints because of the fullness of the gospel taught in the scriptures. You know, Dave, there's um, a little bit of that David and all of us to a degree, I think. For sure, Scott. I, I, and I, and I, you know, we, we think, I, I, I find myself thinking, you know, well, I'm so glad I don't have to go through those kinds of things. And, and for the, for, in large part, I think that's probably all of our experience, most of our listeners' experience, for sure. But the, the thing is, though, is, is, you know, and maybe this is my invitation, you know, when have we felt that way? When have we felt like David? You know, why haven't I been blessed? And when, and then where, where do we not see the blessings that are in front of us? And who do we need? How do we access those? How do we gain that understanding? That's kind of our, our hope, you know, in this podcast and the one that will surely follow as we talk about uh, the effects of the atonement of Jesus Christ. But we are every single one of us affected by the negativity of the fall, uh, the fall of Adam and Eve and our own fall, as you've mentioned, uh, you know, spiritual and physical. And there's so much in our lives, whether we're, whether we're covenant-keeping members of the church or we're completely out of the church, whether we're facing a, what we would call a faith crisis or whether our testimony is solid and sure, there are things in our lives that uh, we absolutely that absolutely necessitate us to embrace the atonement of Jesus Christ so that we can have the peace in our lives I think that we're looking for and here it is Dave well the the real irony and contradiction or I don't know what phrase to use here of that whole story is that little black baby that we carried yeah. into prison that day two months old, little did I know that when he would be in his 20s that he would end up back in that same prison. Yeah, but the other thing is about that little boy is uh, that his story, though different... That's the point. ...is not that much different. That's the point. Here was a little black baby born born to a drug addict... Right. ...in Philadelphia that we, ad- uh, we adopted, who was born with fetal alcoholism, bipolar, Asperger's... Yeah. All kind of abused, going, going through drug withdrawal in the hospital. Abused as a child, which the court order had to take the child out of the out of its home. A- anyway, um, little did I know of how that doctrine, yeah, that I had learned with David, would twenty something years later come back to bless my life and see my own son in prison, and know that he was also covered. Right. Now, I, again, I'm not saying David or my son or anyone else who goes to prison is not accountable. I'm not the judge. But there is no one on this earth who really can offer righteous judgment, Scott. They judge people by the law, by the law of man, and that's good, and the law of God to some extent, right? We have we have judges, uh, bishops, and, and uh, others who judge us uh, in mortality. But let me, again, it goes back to, I have done all these things, King Benjamin said, speaking of Christ, Christ did all these things that, that there would be a righteous judgment. I can't judge. I can't even judge my own son, who, you know, we've raised, he'll be he'll be 33 years old tomorrow, uh, well, not tomorrow, this next month. And I can't judge him, but I know the atonement covers him, and that because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, that he will receive a merciful, fair, equitable, loving, righteous judgment. I see people, we all see people on the news who we, who we rush so quickly to judgment, and we judge them, and we write them off, Right? Another story I'll tell on our next podcast. Well, how many people we write off. We can't judge them. 
You can't even judge your own family. No. You can't even judge, judge your own spouse. No, you can't. And we, we think we know, but we don't. You know, and that's the point. You know, so often too, and I and I know that there's a lot of us probably listening to this because this is just the way we're programmed. I and I really believe that word programmed to think that you know because I'm in the church, I'm held more accountable. There's some truth to that. There is some sure. truth. If that you where have the law, you're more accountable. Where there's more light, more is expected. There's right. there is some truth Much to given. That. Much required. However, these things apply to us too as members, as covenant members, covenant keeping keeping members of the church. We have to see that the Lord will extend, according to his mercies, a fair judgment. And, and again, that a righteous judgment might come upon the children of men. That righteous judgment can only be handed by him. And we need to remember that is this is not just for those in the extremities. These are for those also who feel like we are in the middle of the safe ship Zion, as Elder Ballard put it, right? So, absolutely. Anyway, I think my favorite quote in uh, Preach My Gospel, Scott, on page 52 all that is in unfair about life can be made right through the atonement of Jesus Christ. You know, it was interesting that when my son Isaac was in prison and I was helping Elder Anderson write write his book, The Divine Gift of Forgiveness, Elder Anderson wanted to go to the prison to meet Isaac. Um, and so he had called me up and said, if I make arrangements, will you meet me there Sunday morning at 7? And and then he confirmed that uh, that he had made arrangements. And we went to the prison. I met him there in the parking lot and walked in with the the prison with Elder Anderson and with the bishop of Isaac's little ward unit in prison. And uh, after meeting about 80 prisoners, um, Elder Anderson talked to them and offered, uh, you know, his love and his the, spoke about the mercy and grace of Christ. And then he asked them if they had any questions. I'll never forget that one prisoner on the aisle, about in the middle of the group, who raised his hand. Then I'll never forget him with some uh, despondency, saying, Really, Elder Anderson? Really? What hope is there for some of us? Because some of us have lost everything. And I'll never forget Elder Anderson, who does not get too emotional or he he doesn't get sensational about anything but i'll never forget him becoming quite animated you know coming up almost on his toes and his voice raising raising his voice and proclaiming and he bore testimony powerful testimony of the atonement of jesus christ and he said there is nothing because of the atonement of jesus christ there is nothing that you have lost permanently that cannot be restored to you. Nothing. Man, I remember thinking about that, thinking, wow, nothing. Well, that I, I later read that the prophet Joseph Smith thought, taught that as well. Now, now, I know that some of those men had been divorced and lost their wives and maybe children, and maybe, maybe some relationships had been lost, which could not be really fully restored because of the agency of others. But there was nothing that those men had lost permanently if they so desired it, including including a eternal companion and a family if, the, if they repented. And that through the power, the, the point is that through the power, the gift, the grace, the mercy of Jesus Christ, that anything or everything can be restored to us that that's that's the point scott of the the message of the uh the effects of the atonement of jesus christ in our lives as we approach this week and all that is in front of us i hope that the things that we've talked about today will kind of echo in our minds and in our souls and remind us of our great worth uh, such great worth that uh, even a God died for us, Jesus Christ. Grateful to know that. Look forward to being with you again next week, and until then, be well. <laughs>